You may be seated. All right, let's have let's have kids come forward. So I have a box here with some things in it, okay? Okay, nope, back up. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Okay, so I'm going to pull some things out, and I'm going to ask you guys what they are, okay, and how we might use them. Let's put these up here, actually. All right. How about this? You guys know what that is? Does anybody's telephone look like this? No. This is a telephone when Nick and I were first married. This is the telephone we had. It hung on the wall and it had this cord. You could only go that far away from it. Yeah. Telephone. This is what telephones used to be. Okay, so what do you use a telephone for? To call people. Can I use it to go fishing? No, that would be silly. Telephones are for calling people, right? Okay. Let's try something else here. How about this? What is this? A mixer. Look at that. You know whose mixer this was? This was Nicole's grandmother's mixer. What do we do with mixers? Okay. The name kind of gives that one away, huh? You mix all kinds of things, right? Our kids used to mix um, scrambled eggs and pancake batter and all kinds of things with it. Can I use this to drive a boat? No. No. It's a mixer, huh? You only use it to mix things. Hmm, interesting. Okay. All right. How about this? Anybody know what this is? We're getting trickier. Anybody know what this is? Oh. A can opener. What is this? A coffee grinder. So what you do is you put coffee beans in here. See, I've got some coffee beans in there. See that? And then we spin this. And see what it does is it grinds up the coffee so that we can make coffee. So do you think I could put chocolate chips in here? No, that would be silly. Could I put eggs in here? Mix eggs? No. No, it's a coffee grinder. It was designed, it was built to grind coffee. What? Uh-huh. Okay, now we're getting really tricky. Does anybody know what this is? You know what this is? What is this? Do these even have names? Yeah. Yes. What is this called? A pastry blender. Huh. So when you take flour and you've got Crisco or something, you mash it up. To, to mix up the, the flour and the Crisco. Huh, that's really interesting, isn't it? You do know these things. And because your mom does bake. Yes, that is very good. Okay, can I brush my hair with this? No, that's just silly. That wouldn't work at all. Okay, I got one more item for us here. <laughs> do you know what this is? A slingshot? No. So, Mr. Rich, okay, we're getting there. A horn 
not a horn. Mr. Rich introduced this to me. So I'm just learning how to hunt, right? And Mr. Rich is my mentor, and he's teaching me all these great things. So he told me to get one of these things. So when we blow into it, it's supposed to make the sound of a buck or something like that. Yeah. What do you think it's going to sound like? Anybody know? Okay, how about this? Ready? Listen. Uh, that's kind of weird, isn't it? That's why we shoot them. Because who makes this kind of a sound? Uh, that's the goofiest sound ever. <laughs> do you think I could call my dog with this? Do you think he would come? No, he would just look at me silly, wouldn't he? Here's the deal. I don't think it really works because I don't think it attracts deer or anything. I think it just makes me look silly when I'm out hanging out in the woods. Uh, really? Sounds like other things, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Do I? Uh, no. Looking silly is a specialty I have. Okay. So. Each. Did they ask for candy? Is that what they asked for? Man. Each of those items was designed for a very specific use, right? If we tried to use it for something else, would it really work in that way? No. Again, the mixer is not going to drive my boat. Coffee grinder is not going to mix my eggs. Those things were designed to work in a very specific manner. There's this concept within Christianity called righteousness. And most simply put, it's living the way we were designed to live, living the right way. It's a big word that often gets really confusing and everything, but it's actually very simple. Righteousness is about doing what God designed us to do. We're going to chat about that a little bit this morning, all right? Now, candy. 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 What's the purpose of candy? To eat it. To eat it? Why? Because it tastes good. Okay, ho, ho, sit down, sit down. Because it tastes, because it riles you guys up. And you know what's beautiful is I can give you candy and send you back to your mom and dad's and I don't have to deal with it. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, I do have to deal with it. Okay, so how about this? I am going to pray for us and then I'm going to give you guys some candy. I'm going to send you back to your seats, all right? Okay, let us pray. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, that they would be acceptable in your sight, because you alone, Lord, are both our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, guys, grab some candy. There's peppermint patties and there's... Okay, you got that? Okay, grab a seat, kiddo. All right. You want candy? Oh, my goodness. All right. Peppermint patties, those are good things, aren't they? Yeah. Okay, so here's where we're at. We're currently in a series that is looking at Psalm 23, and I'm using two sources for this series. One is a teaching series by Matt Chandler, and we're watching that series on Tuesday nights during Bible study. The other is a book by Philip Keller, 
who spent a good bit of his life as a shepherd. And so he is looking at Psalm 23 from the eyes of a shepherd. Keller has been really good for us by giving us insights into what David might have been thinking about as he wrote Psalm 23. So here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So this week, Keller tells us that sheep are creatures of habit. Left to their own will, they have the tendency to follow the same trails until they become ruts. And they will graze the same hills until they become utter wasteland. Without proper leadership, sheep will destroy their pasture and consequently themselves. I want that to sink in. A sheep will destroy the land that is provided for it and ultimately destroy itself if it's not guided. We have a very similar situation on our farm with our pigs. So we raise an old school breed of pig. It's called the American guinea hog and it is this small, hairy, black pig. And the, Rick, the reason Nick chose this breed, aside from the fact that it's small, is because it grazes. It feeds off our pasture out at, the field, out at the farm. During the summer, what they eat is grass with a very small supplement of grain. Now, here's where it gets tricky. If Nick does not rotate their grazing areas, if she doesn't move them, they will just destroy our pasture. They will eat the grass until there is no grass left, and it's just dirt. And if it's wet out, they will take and root that grass, looking for the roots. They will turn it over and eat, eat the underneath. And so if she's not paying attention, they easily turn the beautiful, lush, lush pasture into a sloppy, muddy mess. Without leadership, sheep and pigs... And well, us, we'll just make a mess. How many of us have done that in our own lives? Left to our own, we have made a sloppy, muddy, muddy mess of things. You know, I look back over my life before I had met Christ, and while it wasn't my intent, it is definitively what I did. I made a sloppy, muddy mess of all the relationships I had been in. You know, the prophet Isaiah says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. How many of us prefer to do our own way just because? Y'all know the saying, it's my way or the highway. It's our nature. We have this tendency, regardless of the outcome, to do the same things over and over and over, to make the same mistakes repeatedly. And I'm not talking about leaving unwashed dishes in the sink or forgetting to bring home a thumb drive that your wife asked every day this past week for you to bring home. 
I'm talking about how we treat one another. Both those we know and those we don't know. Again, it's not the intent of the sheep to destroy their pasture, but left to their own, it just happens. It's what we do with relationships. For the shepherd, again, the best way to avoid the destructive nature of the sheep is to keep them on the move, to not permit them too much time in any one location, to not allow them to get stuck in just one place. So I've watched Nick do this with her animals all summer long, with the pigs and the chickens and the horses. She creates a new area for them to graze in, and then she releases them onto fresh grass or pasture. You know, with the pigs, they become so focused on the new grass that they won't pay any attention to you if you step into their pasture, which is very different from they've been there for three or four weeks and you step into that pasture. They will completely just run you over looking for any scrap of food you might have on yourself. They're actually really obnoxious animals. If anybody wants one, we're selling. No, just kidding. Keeping them on the move is best for our pigs, it's best for sheep, and it's even best for us. If we get stuck in one place for too long, we develop bad habits, we make ourselves susceptible to all sorts of problems which is why God longs to keep us on the move. He longs for movement in our lives. He leads us in paths of righteousness. God longs not to keep us moving for the sake of moving, but he has a direction for us to head in. He has a path he wants us to take. And I think it's important to consider where he is leading us. To understand this, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. Right after creating everything, God set before Adam and Eve a path. In the garden, it was a simple path, right? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The path that God was setting before them was a path of trust, trust that God has our best interest in mind. God had planted this beautiful garden filled with all kinds of trees, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Again, all except for one. The reason being that that one tree would bring with it death. And so we set a boundary there. And everything was amazing until they left the path creating a cycle where humanity will repeatedly stumble off the path, chasing our own will over his, making a sloppy, muddy, muddy mess of things. God hadn't set an arbitrary path before Adam and Eve, but a path that was good for them. It really is a destructive cycle that seems to happen over and over and over. God will reveal himself in these big and spectacular ways, only for us to quickly forget who he is, only to forget that he is leading us into goodness as we chase after something else. We have access to every tree in the garden, but we get distracted by the one tree that's going to get us into trouble. That's the only one we want. God will go on 
to form the nation of Israel. This is history, right? This is our history. Within the borders of Egypt, they will grow and prosper, and Pharaoh will despise them. And so Pharaoh is going to persecute, and he's going to oppress them. He's going to turn them into slaves until God sends Moses to deliver them. And in that moment, God performs these miracles, these signs, ten of them, where he reveals his strength and his authority over the gods of Egypt. And he will lead the nation into a land flowing with milk and honey. But how long does Israel trust him? It doesn't last one generation. There's only two people from that first generation who will survive to experience the promised land, and that is Joshua and Caleb. The rest of Israel refused to follow the Lord, and they stepped off the path that he put before them. You know what's intriguing to me about the God that we worship? It's that he hasn't set before us just a set of rules. He doesn't place us in these boundaries just for the sake of the boundaries. Unlike most other religions, the God that we sing praise to sets before us a relationship that is rooted in trust. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he walked with Israel as he led them from Egypt in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There are rules and boundaries that God does set up. But there is also this God who would fill the tabernacle with his presence. He would dwell in their midst in the, meet, the tent of meeting. Because ultimately, he longs to be with us. It's about relationship. God would anoint prophets and priests and kings with his own spirit because it wasn't just about the rules. It was about being with. And then in the most spectacular event in history, God chose the form of a man, a baby. His name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. He would grow in wisdom and stature and favor. He would reveal a kingdom unlike any kingdom the world had ever seen, a kingdom where he himself would be king and we would be his, kingdom, his people, a kingdom filled with life. Jesus declares, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus spoke those words as he talked about being the good shepherd. Because the path that God has for us is all about life. Life to its fullest. Life lived the right way. Righteousness, again, is one of those words that we don't use in modern culture unless... We are using it in a bad way. We use it to describe someone that we want to dismiss or disregard because really, for whatever reason, we don't like it. Whereas righteous really just literally means to live right, to live the way that God intended us to live. And that is where God is leading us, to do the right thing, not at the expense of somebody else, but for the sake of somebody else. Consider what Jesus did, right? He laid down his life for the sheep. Sometimes doing the right thing is about sacrificing my way for your sake. 
The words Jesus uttered on the last night of his life was, not my will, but your will be done. Can you imagine if Jesus chose to do it another way? Jesus sets before us a path where instead of loving myself most, I choose to love others. Instead of following the crowd, I will follow the Lord. Instead of insisting on my rights, I will be willing to acknowledge yours. Instead of being the master, I choose to be the servant. Instead of finding fault in life, I want to seek gratitude. God wants to keep us moving because there is some place he is taking us, some place filled with goodness. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So this past week as we watched the Chandler video, Matt says, he believes that this phrase for his name's sake is actually at the epicenter of Psalm 23. It is the purpose that David wrote this psalm. It is the reason that God exists to be who he is. For his name's sake reveals God's heart. Now, I don't know about you when you hear that phrase, but for me, it's not a positive phrase. When I hear that phrase, for his name's sake, what I initially hear is the description of someone who is all about themselves. Someone whose ego needs to be stroked. Someone who is looking for affirmation from those around them. Looking to be the smartest, the greatest, the best. That's how that phrase hits me. But that's not God's nature. That isn't his heart. The God who will suffer to lay down his life for us is not an egomaniac. It's not about him. Keller remembers purchasing his first sheep farm. He was a young man, and he describes the property as being sheeped to death. That basically the owner of the farm had been an absentee owner, and he had rented it out to this guy who just overloaded it with sheep and then left and left the sheep to their own. The result was utter desolation, and this is how he describes it. He said, the fields were so overgrazed and impoverished that they would grow very little wisps of grass. The sheep trails had deteriorated into these great gullies, and the erosion on the slopes was rampant. He said, you looked across the farm, and the whole place was ravaged almost beyond repair. That tenant's care for his sheep in the land ultimately reflected not on the sheep, but on the tenant. His name was at stake, and his name was not a respected name in the community. Once upon a time, companies used to care not just about the bottom line, but they cared about the fact that their product had their name on it. Think about just how much names used to mean. Recently, names have come under fire. Johnson & Johnson used to be a trusted name in baby care products. Volkswagen used to be a trusted name in the automotive industry. You know, when my grandfather died a few years ago, there was a freezer that he had in the basement that my mom remembers growing up with. And they were like, do you want that freezer? And I was like... I don't think I could get that thing out of the basement. 
names used to mean something. We used to trust in products and services because of the name that was associated with them. This, I believe, is what David meant. God leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Because those paths have his name on them. Those paths are good. Something that is interesting about God's name is that his name defines his nature. That's what we understand throughout Scripture. There are over a hundred names for God throughout the Bible, and they each give credence. They build this picture for us of who God is. El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High God. El Olam, the Everlasting God. El Elmuna, the Faithful God. Elohim Makase, God our refuge. Jehovah Rapha, God heals. Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is my shepherd. If the shepherd cares for his sheep, it will be evident in how they are doing. And then all will know and they will come to put their trust in the shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Emmanuel, God with us. And do you know what the name of Jesus means? Does anybody know what Yehoah, Ye- Yeshua, Yeshua, boy, Joshua means? It means the Lord saves. For God, the name defines who he is, his attributes, and what he is up to. Let us pray. Lord, the path that you have placed before us, I think too often gets a bad name. The path that you have placed before us is a path to goodness. Goodness for me and goodness for those that I engage and interact with. And yet, we choose to stumble off it and wander from it regularly. And so your name gets destroyed, not because of the path, but because of those who choose to say they are your followers. I pray that we would reclaim your name in this world, that we would take seriously the path that you had placed before us, that we would be willing to just trust it, because in it really is goodness and mercy and love, all for the sake of your name. Amen.